Well, good morning. Welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. You guys doing all right? Everybody good? Good. Awesome. Well, we are one church that meets in more than one location every single weekend. We have family meeting out at Stone Canyon. So there's others who join us online. So if you would here at North Carnet, put your hands together. Welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, for those of you who know me, you know that my favorite sport in all the world is basketball. I love to play basketball, I love to watch basketball, I love to talk about basketball. As a parent, it's fun because my son Alex, he's six, his favorite sport is also basketball. So we talk basketball together. He loves to trash talk, especially when he likes a team that I don't like. And he really enjoys playing basketball as well. He's in his second season now, second year of playing ball, and he really likes it. And I'm a little bit partial, but he's pretty good at it too. He's a baller. Here's a clip of him playing in the first game of the season this year he's dribbling down then he goes up for a shot and he nails it and that was actually two of his 16 points that he got in his first game he had 16 points his team had a total of 19 points so that just shows you anyway I'm partial I know but he's my son that's my boy I'm proud of him okay so uh, he had 10 points yesterday in his game and I love to watch him play and if you were to ask Alex again he's six if you were to ask him what do you want to be when you grow up you know what he would say I want to be a basketball player. Now, as adults, we can kind of laugh and snicker at that, but I really can't laugh because when I was his age, if you would ask me, Chad, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have said the same thing. I would have said, I want to be a basketball player. And I would have told you that I want to play, that I wanted to play for the University of Kentucky and wear a jersey just like this one. Now, it's okay if you don't like this jersey. This is my daydream, okay? You can hold up a different jersey if you want to dream of playing for a different team. But in my dream, I dreamed of playing for the University of Kentucky. I was going to play all four years because back then players did that, even the good ones. And I was going to play all four years. And then I was going to go on and play for some team in the NBA. That was my dream. And you know, as a kid, when I would dream about playing ball one day, you know what I would dream about? You know what images popped into my mind? I would think about having my name called out in the starting lineup as the indoor fireworks are going off and the PA announcer said my name. I would think about hitting a game-winning shot, you know, a buzzer shot to send my team on to victory. I would think about receiving an alley-oop from a teammate and making a basket or maybe even dunking the ball. I'm still working on that. I'm going to dunk the ball one day. I'm still working at it. I'm, no, it's not going to happen. But still, that's what I would dream about. But you know what I never thought about? When I would daydream about playing basketball for the University of Kentucky or in the NBA, I never thought about this, the bench. I never once thought, you know, one day I'm going to go sit on the bench for Kentucky. One day I'm going to go sit on the bench for an NBA team. I never thought about the bench because I wanted to play. Now, I knew there was a bench, and I knew some players sat on the bench, some more than others, honestly, but that wasn't going to be me. I was going to play. I wanted to be in the game. And honestly, I think when it comes to life, that's how we all really feel deep down. None of us want to make a basketball team and then tell the coach, hey, we're just going to sit on the bench the rest of the season. None of us want to retire from doing a job only to have our contribution to that company quickly forgotten. No one wants to die and have an unattended funeral. No one wants to get to the end of their life and have a trivial obituary written about them. We don't want to be space takers and resume builders. We want to be difference makers. There is something deep within all of us that says, we want to make a difference in this world. We want to be game changers. Deep down, we all want to be difference makers. And here's the thing, Jesus wants the same. 
Jesus wants for you and me to be difference makers in this world. In fact, it's one of the primary reasons why he came. And honestly, I think it's a prerequisite to being part of his kingdom. So you're in the third week of this series, which we're calling Majnik. And this is your first week with us. You're probably thinking, what in the world is Majnik? Is that even a word? Well, it kind of is. We've been explaining over the past few weeks that Majnik is actually the word kingdom backwards. Because Jesus calls us to be part of his kingdom. He invites us to be part of his backwards, upside down, inside out, radically different countercultural kingdom and he invites us to be part of this kingdom because he knows it's exactly what we need in fact in his most famous sermon the sermon on the mount jesus teaches us how to pray and listen to what he asks us to pray for in matthew chapter 6 look at what he says he says that we are to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven god we want your kingdom to come your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in other words we should be praying for god's will to be done in our lives just as it is carried out in heaven we should be praying oh god we want up there to come down here and there's a reason why jesus wants us to pray that prayer because what's going on down here isn't working and i think we all know that see when you just live the cookie cutter existence that our culture has passed down to us you know how you're left feeling frustrated empty bored, apathetic. Now we all have good days, but I think we just live the cookie cutter existence that's been passed down to us. We all have this feeling every now and then that there has to be more. There has to be more than just this life that we see around us. This can't be it. There has to be more to life. And that's what Jesus came to offer us. He came to show us what that more is. He came so that we could live the best life possible, the life that God designed us to live. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he, speaking of God, will give you everything you need. In other words, seek God's kingdom, live for God's kingdom, live for his way of life, not the world's way of life, but live for God's definition of life. And he will give you everything you need. And we've talked the past few weeks that Jesus doesn't say God will give you everything you want. He doesn't say that God will make your life easier. That's not what Jesus promises. He promises that God will give you everything you need, meaning your soul will be satisfied. Yeah, you'll still have trouble in this world, but you'll live a life with true contentment and true peace. From the inside out, you will live a whole, full, complete life. That's what Jesus came to give us. And Jesus knows in order for us to live that life, to have that satisfaction and contentment, that we have to do life differently. He came to rewire us. He came to reorient us. He came to reshape our lives because what's been going on down here, that's been corrupted and messed up by sin, and it's not working. My daughter, Addie, she's in a different stage than Alex, my son's. And Alec is playing basketball, but my son, Addie, she's being potty trained right now. That's what we're going through as a family. And it's been a little rough. It's been fun and exciting, but a little rough as well as we're trying to retrain Addie. We're trying to train her differently for what she's always known. And yeah, it takes some work and it takes some effort. And we tried to go shopping yesterday and we had a couple messes as we went shopping. That happens. But we keep training her how to change her lifestyle because we know that's what she needs. Because if we don't retrain her, 
And she's not going to live the best life, is she? She has to be retrained in order to live the best life possible. It's what she needs. And I think that's what Jesus came to do for us. He came to retrain us, to rewire us, because he knows us what we need. And here's the thing. The life that Jesus is trying to, trying to give us, it's not just that it's better than the other way. It's not just that the life we have been living is a lesser way of life. The life that this world has given us, it's a toxic way to live. It's a life that is keeping us from God. It's a life that's keeping us from living out our God-given purpose. So Jesus came to show us how to really live. And his way of life, it's very different from what we've always known. But that's okay because it's what we need. And here's the thing. When you live for his backwards kingdom, when you live for Majnik, he not only turns your life upside down, Jesus will use you to turn the world around you upside down. In fact, that's one of the expectations for anyone who becomes part of this kingdom, that you will impact the world, that you will be a difference maker in this world for him. That's why when we read on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus here uses two illustrations to make the same point. And the point is this. When you live his way of life, when you live for his kingdom, you will impact the world. You will make a difference in this world, period. That's why Jesus says, you are. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He's making a statement here. This isn't a command. This is an observation. He says, when you do actually live out my kingdom way of life, you will impact the world. You will make a difference. By simply living for me, living the life that I'm calling you to live, you will be the salt of the earth. You will be the light of the world because those who live for my kingdom will influence the world by simply being in it. And the two images that he uses to illustrate this are probably pretty familiar to us. One of them is more familiar than the other. It's the image of light. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you've ever visited church in the past or if you've grown up in church, you've spent any time in church at all, you've probably heard about the subject of light before. I mean, we sing songs about light. You probably heard sermons about light. During the Christmas season, we have a candle light service. We talk about light a whole lot. And there's a reason for that. One, Jesus says he's the light of the world, but then he turns around and says that we are also the light of the world. And we understand why Jesus commissions us to be light because light has two primary purposes. First of all, light exposes Light exposes what's in the darkness. It lets us know what the, what's really in the darkness. And so as the light of the world, we are to expose the darkness for what it really is. 
It's kind of like my son Alex. He gets up in the middle of the night a lot. He'll come into Allison and mine's bedroom, and he's scared. And I remember one night he came into our bedroom, and he said, Daddy, there's a snake in my room. And I knew there wasn't a snake in his room, but I was like, okay, buddy, let's go check it out. So I get up, and I go to his room, and he points in the corner. He says, there it is. There's the snake. There's the snake. So I flip on the light switch, and it's a sock. It's not a snake. So I pick up the sock. I show it to him. Just a sock, buddy, not a snake. You're all right. And so I put him back in the bed, tuck him in, and I get ready to turn off the light. And as I get ready to turn off the light, he said, no, no, daddy, leave the light on, leave the light on. I said, you just saw it's a, sn- it's a sock. It's not a snake. It's a sock. And he said, yeah, but I might forget. Can you leave the light on? You know, and that's what light does. It exposes the darkness for what it really is. So we see it for what it really is. But light also does something else. Light also guides, light directs, it leads. And we're here to lead people out of darkness into God's light. Kyle Ottoman is the lead minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's a huge church, like 30,000 people. And I've had the opportunity to visit Southeast on occasion. I've got to meet Kyle a couple different times. If you've ever been in their auditorium at Southeast, you know that it is huge. In fact, here's a picture of it. Their auditorium is like five stories high. It holds 9,000 people at a time. It is gigantic. We got to visit Southeast uh, during the Thanksgiving break. And so we were there. And this is a picture that I took from the back of the auditorium. And I've heard Kyle tell the story a couple different times about a time in their church's history when a couple of birds got into this auditorium, got into the auditorium. Of course, it's huge, and they wondered how to get these birds out. They didn't want to hurt them. They didn't want to kill them. How do they get them out in a pretty easy way? And so what they decided to do, there was this older man. He was on their custodial staff, and he said, this is what you need to do. You turn off all the lights, make the auditorium pitch dark black, and leave it dark for like an hour. And then after you leave it dark for an hour, go open up an outside exit door and let those birds see the natural light and they will fly towards it. So that's what they did. They left the lights off for an hour and then they opened up an outside door, the birds saw the light and they flew to it and they got out. It's interesting, we actually had something like this happen to us at the last church that we, where we served. Uh, we had like a gymnasium that we had worship services, so we had a high ceiling, and we had one bird that got in. And so I'd heard Kyle tell this story over and over again, and I thought, let's try it. Let's turn off all the lights for an hour and leave it dark, and then we'll open up an outside door, and hopefully the bird will fly toward the light. And it did. It took it longer than I thought. We opened up the door, and the bird just sat there, and I thought, this isn't going to work. But eventually it did. It flew towards the light, and it went on to freedom. And that's what we're here to do as followers of Jesus. We're here to be light that directs people to freedom. We're supposed to direct people to the salvation that's found in Christ. We're supposed to show them the way that they're really supposed to live. That's why we're here. And here's the thing. We will do that without having to go door to door. And when somebody opens up and saying, hey, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven or hell? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the expectation is we're just going to do that by being in this world. By just living in by our mere presence, day in and day out, by just living the Jesus-shaped way of life. We will be light. It's something that we won't be able to hide. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 15, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus, no one lights a lamp and then hides it under a bowl. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you light a lamp and then hide the light? And what he's telling us is, as a light of the world, you can't hide your light. As you're in the world, in the midst of the darkness, you're going to shine bright. You've probably seen me use this illustration before. In our homes, we all have these. 
light bulbs. We put them up to give light in our homes, right? But none of us, before we put our light bulbs in their sockets, none of us spray paint them black, do we? That wouldn't make any sense. Why in the world would we paint all of our light bulbs black before we put them up in our homes? That would defeat the purpose because you want a light bulb to shine. That's the reason why it exists. And that's what Jesus is saying. You don't paint a light bulb black. You don't put a lamp under a bulb. You don't do that. A light is supposed to shine. And when we are truly living the Jesus-shaped way of life, when we are truly living for his kingdom, we will shine. And here's the thing. If our light is not shining on a daily basis, then we're not living for his kingdom. But then Jesus goes on to use another image in the Sermon on the Mount to illustrate this point that we're supposed to be difference makers. And this next image we're probably not as familiar with. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now we know what salt is, but we really don't talk as much about salt in the church as we do light. There's not a whole lot of songs about salt. You probably haven't heard a whole lot of sermons about salt. We don't have salt shaker services like we have candlelight services, you know. We don't talk a lot about salt, not as much as we do light at least. But I think to understand what Jesus here is getting at, you need to understand how salt was used in the ancient world and just how important it was. See, in our day and age, almost half of all the salt that is manufactured and sold in the United States is used on roadways for poor weather conditions, for winter weather conditions. Almost half of the salt in our country, that's what it's used for. We actually use more salt on our roads than we do in food consumption. But that wasn't the case in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, salt was seen as a preservative, and it kept out and fought against decay and corruption. In a day before modern refrigeration, it was a necessary resource that was used to preserve food. But it didn't just preserve food, it also preserved dead bodies. So that you could go through your funeral services, and a dead body wouldn't start to stink and decay See, salt was used um, as a purifying agent to destroy bacteria. And it was seen as so important in Jesus' day and age that ancient cities were actually built on or near salt deposits. The Latin word for salt is the word sal, which is where we get our English word salary. Because in this day and age, governments would actually pay their soldiers in salt. That's how valuable it was. That's how important it was. Hence the phrase, he or she is worth their salt. You've probably heard that before. Countries would even go to war over salt. That's how valuable it was. That's why today, when two people get into a fight, you say one was assaulted. No, that's not true. I made that last part up. I'm talking a lot about salt. I thought we needed a light moment, okay? I'm sorry, that's not true. But it is true that countries would go to war over salt because it was seen as important for the survival of any society. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, meaning you are a purifying agent in the midst of this corrupt world. You're here to keep the corruption and decay of sin and darkness and evil from overtaking the world. Now that's a staggering and a sobering statement, but it's who Jesus has declared us to be. This is the expectation for those who are part of his kingdom. This is the expectation for those who choose to be his followers. And here's the thing about both light and salt. They move in, not away. In order for both salt and light to be effective, 
They have to infiltrate. Both salt and light have to infiltrate to be effective to do their job. They don't retreat. They don't move away. They don't withdraw. They infiltrate. And in so doing, they, they change their environment. And that's what we're here to do. By simply living in this world, and we are to live in the world. We're not to retreat from it. We're not to hide from it. By simply living in this world, when we live for God's kingdom, we're a people who transform the world by our very presence. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to show us how we transform the world, what type of life we're supposed to live. But one way that we do this, one way that we make a difference in this world is by seeing people as God sees them. It's by having God's heart for people. That's what Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount. If you read on in verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said. There's that phrase again where he says, Hey, this is what you've always known, but I'm about to tell you something different. You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, this is what God, this is how God sees life. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, those are some hard words for us to read. Those are some tough words for us to carry out. But I think understanding those five verses, in order to understand those five verses, we need to understand the last verse. Do you catch what Jesus said here in the very last verse that we read, verse 48? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see the word perfect, what comes to my mind is flawless, Someone that doesn't have any imperfections. Someone who never makes a mistake. Someone who's sinless. That's what comes to my mind. But see, that's not what that word means. In fact, this is one of the places where I believe our English translators of the New Testament missed it. Because there was another Greek word for flawless or something that was totally perfect when it comes to their morality. And that word is often applied to Jesus because he was sinless. But that's not this word. The word that's actually used here in Matthew 5 verse 48 is the word teleos. And this word means complete, full, mature, not lacking anything. In other words, what Jesus here is saying, just as your heavenly Father is spiritually whole and complete and full, just as he doesn't lack anything, I want you to live that type of life. I want you inwardly, spiritually, to live a full, complete, whole life. I don't want you to feel like that you're lacking anything. And isn't that the reason why he came? So that we could live life to the full? See, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to replace our emptiness with meaning. He wants to replace our frustration with hope. He wants to replace our anger with joy. He wants to come in and live within us and change us so that we can live a full, complete, whole, content life. And the way to do that is by thinking like God thinks. By acting like God acts. By talking like God talks. And, in, and as we do that, as we start to think like God thinks, we will see people differently. 
We will react to people in a different way than everyone else. We will respond to people in a different way than everyone else. And that's why Jesus says in verse 43 of our passage, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you become part of my kingdom, you don't have any more enemies. And those people that used to be your enemies or those people who the world says it's okay if they're your enemies, you're supposed to now love those people. And not just love them, you're supposed to do good for them. You're supposed to bless them. You're supposed to work to make their lives better. And I have to admit, that's easier said than done. Because I know what Jesus is getting at. See, when I see that word enemy, when I first read it, I think, you know, I really don't have any enemies. And I don't. I mean, if you were to ask me to put together a list of my enemies, I don't think I could write down one name. I don't believe I have truly any enemies. Now, some of you guys may consider me to be your mortal enemy. And if that's the case, let me know that so I can stay away from you and I can tell our security here about you. But I don't feel like that personally I have any enemies. But let me tell you what I do have. People who get under my skin. People who are hard to love. People who aren't like me. People who annoy me. People who irritate me. People who have hurt me. We all have those people, don't we? And that's who Jesus is talking about. In fact, look at, look at his words in verses 46 through 47. Look at what he says here. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So that's how the world lives. If you just love those who return love to you, what Jesus here is saying is you are to love those who don't love you back. You are to love those who are hard to love. You are to love those who irritate you. I don't know if you have any enemies or not, but let me see a show of hands. Anybody have any irritants in their life? Okay, don't look around. Just raise your hand, okay? Don't look around. We all have people who irritate us. And what Jesus is saying is, don't just love the people who love you. Love those who don't know how to love you back. And like I said, that is easier said than done. I love this quote by Mark Twain. I read it the other day. It said, I've got no problem with those parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's those parts of the Bible I do understand that give me fits. And you know, I get that. Because I know what Jesus is saying here, but I'm not sure if there's a more difficult command of Jesus to carry out than this. Because what we want to do is we want to exchange insult for insult. That's how the world has told us to live. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone comes to you and strikes you on the cheek, you're not to strike them back. You're to turn the other cheek. Now, what is Jesus saying there? He's not saying that we should tolerate abuse or that we should be okay with somebody being bullied. That's not what he's saying there. What Jesus here is talking about is the slap of insult, which was a common thing in that day and age. He says, if somebody insults you, don't insult them back. Don't return insult for insult. Instead, diffuse the situation by showing them love. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone comes and asks for your tunic, Well, give them your cloak too. In other words, if somebody comes and asks you to make a sacrifice for them, yeah, make that sacrifice for them, but go above and beyond to give them more than what they asked for. Jesus says if someone asks you to walk a mile with them, don't just walk one mile with them, walk two miles with them. 
That was a reference to what Roman soldiers would do in this day because a Roman soldier had the right to ask any person throughout the empire to carry his stuff, to carry his belongings for a mile with him. And you had to do it by law. And the Jews hated that because they didn't like the Romans. They definitely didn't want to carry a Roman soldier's stuff. And Jesus says, a Roman soldier comes along and says, hey, carry my stuff with me for a mile. Don't just do it for a mile. Do it for two miles. And that Roman soldier is going to look at you and say, no one ever does more than what they're required to do. They're going to ask you why, and you can say, because of Jesus. See, what Jesus here is getting at is the point that Peter makes in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, when Peter says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't repay insult with insult. Don't act in kind when someone hurts you. Instead, repay insult with a blessing. Show love to that person because that's what God has done for you. And let me tell you something. Every time I get to the point in my life when I struggle with this, when I think, but God, that person's really hard to love. That person's really difficult for me to love. I just remember and process what God has done for me. I remember how many times I've rebelled against God. How many times I've hurt him. I remember that I don't deserve this life that he's given me. I don't deserve the salvation that Jesus died to give me. I don't deserve to be part of his family, to be part of his kingdom. But if Jesus can be on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then I can forgive someone in this life who's hurt me someone who irritates me, someone who gets under my skin, I can forgive them because that's what God has done for me. And honestly, I think that's why Jesus says to pray for your enemies because he knows we can't do this without God's help. But with God's help, it can be done. And Jesus wants us to replace the bitterness that we have in our hearts with a burden for those who are hard to love. He wants us to put ourselves in their shoes because let's be honest, we all have bad days, don't we? We've all had moments in life when we've hurt somebody else. Maybe it hasn't been intentional, but we still hurt them. Maybe it has been intentional. We've all had moments when we've acted like jerks, when we've been mean to people, when we've treated people poorly. And here's the thing, when we have those moments, we want others to forgive us. We want others to treat us better than we deserve to be treated. And what Jesus here is saying is put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, maybe they have been mean to you. Maybe they have hurt you. Maybe they have annoyed you. But put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They are a child of God. And maybe there's a reason why they did that. And treat that person better than they deserve to be treated because that's how you want them to treat you. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 12. He says, so then in everything, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Did you catch Jesus' words here? So then in everything, not just in some things, not just when you feel like it, not just when you want to, in everything, in every situation, treat people better than they deserve to be treated. That's what we're called to do. And that's why I love this church. That's why I love First Church. Because we're a people who believe in our mission to love Jesus and to love like Jesus. Those aren't just words that we say. 
We truly believe in our mission to love like Jesus, to love those who aren't like us, to love those who aren't of our tribe, to love those who are different from us, to love those who don't deserve it. We believe in that. Now, we're not perfect. And the longer you're a part of this church, more you're going to realize we're not perfect because a perfect church doesn't exist. This church is made of people, and we make a lot of mistakes. But we're covered by the grace of God. And even though we're not perfect... We believe in our mission to love like Jesus, and that's what we are striving to do. When you look back at 2019, the year we just finished, you can see our church just doing doing just that. We're a church that built homes for people we didn't even know. We're a church that took food to people we didn't know. We're a church that collected clothes for people who were cold during the wintertime who we had never met before. We're a church that went on mission trips to countries where we've never been. We're a church that introduced people to Jesus, people who are far from God, people who are struggling with addictions and past sins and struggles, and we introduced them to Jesus, and Jesus changed and transformed their lives. We're a church that threw a carnival for our community, a free carnival, and we did it for one reason, to let Owasso and the surrounding area know there's a church here that notices them, that cares about them, that loves them, and there's a God who loves them. We're a church who had a You're Invited series last fall, and we had volunteers come out of the woodwork to help with that and to invite people to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ, to let people who didn't know know that there is a God who does love them and does care about them and that he has a plan and purpose for their lives. This past Christmas, we took meals and gifts to those who were less fortunate, not because we knew them and not because we wanted anything in return from them, We just wanted to let them know they were loved. We're not a perfect church, but we're a church that believes in our mission to love like Jesus. And if you're new here, let me show you a picture of our church. Take a look at this video. are the salt of the earth. And we believe that's what we're here to do as a church. There's one more thing about salt I want to share with you if you're not tired of hearing about salt yet. (laughs) If you ever notice, salt doesn't draw attention to itself. Salt just invites you to be part of something more glorious than itself. No one walks away from a great meal and says, man, that was some good salt they served tonight. Salt calls us into something more glorious than itself. And that's what we're here to do. We're not here to draw attention to ourselves. We're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to invite people into something bigger than us. We're here to invite people into the kingdom of God. We're here to let people know 
that there is a love out there that is greater than the love that we or anyone else can show them, the love of God. There is a family that they can be a part of that is bigger and more meaningful than any family you could be a part of on this earth. We're here to let people know about the better life, the best life, the greatest life that they could possibly live, life in God's kingdom. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're called to do as a church. No one makes a basketball team and then tells the coach they want to sit on the bench. No one wants for their legacy to be quickly forgotten. We don't want to be space takers or resume builders. Deep down, we all want to be difference makers. That's what Jesus calls us to do as the salt of the earth. And so as you leave today, you're going to get a little gift. It's not much, but it's a little packet of salt. And I want every one of you to take one and take it with you. Put this salt packet somewhere where it reminds you of what you're called to do. Maybe you put it on your desk at work or take it with you to school, put it in your car, put it somewhere in your house, I don't know. But let it be a reminder that you're here to influence the world around you. And maybe you don't want to put it up somewhere, and that's fine too. If you're not going to put it up somewhere, then take it and use it. Like when you have lunch today or when you have lunch tomorrow at work or whatever, use this packet of salt, put it on your french fries, put it on whatever, your green beans, whatever you put it on. Use this salt, and as you use it, look around. Look at the people maybe that are in your office who are sitting at a few desks down from you. If you're in a restaurant, look at the people sitting around you. If you're at home, look at the people you live with day in and day out. And remember what you're here to do. You're here to be salt. You're here to fight off the corruption that is destroying God's world. And Jesus empowers us to do just that. Because here's the thing. There are people all around you every single day who need to be loved. And Jesus wants to use you to love them. Let's go be salt. Let's go be light. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today and this moment we've had to open up your word, to look at the Sermon on the Mount again, and to be reminded that we are here to be difference makers. That when we truly do live for your kingdom, it's automatic. Our light will shine. We will be the salt of the earth. So, Father, may we put your kingdom first. May we live your way of life. And in so doing, you will turn our lives upside down and we will turn the world around us upside down. I pray for this church. May we go love like Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.